Welcome to Supreme Court Opinions. In this episode, you'll hear the court's opinion in George v. McDonough. In this case, the court considered this issue, when the Department of Veterans Affairs denies a veteran's claim for benefits and reliance on an agency interpretation later deemed invalid under the plain text of the statutory provisions in effect at the time of the denial, is that the kind of clear and unmistakable error that the veteran may invoke to challenge the VA's decision. The case was decided on June 15, 2022. The court held the invalidation of a VA regulation after a veteran's benefits decision becomes final cannot support a claim for collateral relief based on clear and unmistakable error. Justice Barrett delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Roberts joined along with Justices Thomas, Alito, Kagan, and Kavanaugh. Justice Sotomayor filed a dissenting opinion. Justice Gorsuch filed a dissenting opinion, in which Justice Breyer joined and in which Justice Sotomayor joined as to all but Part 2 through 100. The opinion is presented here in its entirety, but with citations omitted. If you appreciate this episode, please subscribe. Thank you. Justice Barrett delivered the opinion of the court. Veterans may claim benefits for disabilities connected to their military service subject to statutory and regulatory requirements. When the Department of Veterans Affairs, VA, denies a benefits claim, That decision generally becomes final after the veteran exhausts the opportunity for direct appeal. But a statutory exception permits the veteran to seek collateral review at any time on grounds of clear and unmistakable error. We must decide whether that exception allows relief from a VA decision applying an agency regulation that, although unchallenged at the time, is later deemed contrary to law. We hold that it does not. The law entitles veterans who have served on active duty in the United States military to receive benefits for disabilities caused or aggravated by their military service. A veteran seeking such benefits must first file a claim with the Virginia Regional Office of the VA then determines whether the veteran satisfies all legal prerequisites, including the requirement that military service caused or aggravated the disability. To that end, the statute governing wartime service imposes a presumption of sound condition. If a veteran's disability was not noted at the time of entry into service, then the veteran is presumptively entitled to benefits unless the VA shows by a heightened burden of proof that the disability existed before, and was not aggravated by such service. After applying this and other statutory and regulatory requirements, the regional office issues an initial decision granting or denying benefits. A veteran dissatisfied with this decision may challenge it through several layers of direct review. As a general rule, the veteran may appeal within one year to the VA's Board of Veterans' Appeals. If the board also denies relief, the veteran may seek further review outside the agency. Such review was once limited to constitutional and certain statutory claims, but since 1988 Congress has generally allowed veterans 120 days to appeal any board decision to the Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims, Veterans' Court. A veteran dissatisfied with that court's decision may seek review of any legal issue in the federal circuit and ultimately in this court. After this direct appeal process, the benefits decision generally becomes final and conclusive and may not be reviewed by any other official or by any court. Still, the veteran enjoys a few limited options for seeking collateral review in exceptional circumstances. This case concerns one such exception to finality, at any time, A veteran may ask the board or regional office to revise a final benefits decision on grounds of clear and unmistakable error. This form of collateral review was first adopted by regulation roughly 100 years ago. Since at least 1928, the VA and its predecessor agencies have allowed revision of an otherwise final decision when obviously warranted by a clear and unmistakable error. In 1997, Congress codified this form of review in the statute we interpret today. 
Kevin George joined the Marine Corps in 1975 after experiencing multiple schizophrenic episodes. He did not initially disclose that history, and a medical examination noted no mental disorders at the time he entered service. But less than a week into training, George had another episode and was hospitalized. A few months later, the Navy's Central Physical Evaluation Board found that his schizophrenia made him unfit for duty and was not aggravated by service. George was then medically discharged. Later that year, George applied for veterans' disability benefits based on his schizophrenia. A VA regional office denied his claim after concluding that his condition predated his military service and was not aggravated by it. The board agreed and denied George's appeal in 1977. In so ruling, neither the regional office nor the board expressly discussed the VA's burden of proof under the presumption of sound condition. In 2014, George asked the board to revise that final decision on grounds of clear and unmistakable error. In particular, he claimed that the board erred by applying a later invalidated regulation to deny his claim for benefits without holding the VA to its full burden of proof to rebut the statutory presumption of sound condition. For more than 40 years, including George's time in service, a VA regulation provided that the agency could rebut the presumption simply by showing, according to a heightened burden of proof, that a disability predated service. In 2003, however, the VA concluded that this regulation conflicted with the statute, which it now understood to require an additional showing, by the same burden of proof, that the veteran's condition was not later aggravated by service. The VA recognized that it seemed illogical to require an additional showing with no obvious bearing upon the presumed fact of whether the veteran was in sound condition when he or she entered service. But it explained that the statutory text nonetheless compelled this reading. Based on this about-face, the VA confessed error in a pending case applying the regulation, and the Federal Circuit agreed that this difficult-to-parse and somewhat self-contradictory statute rendered the regulation incorrect. The VA ultimately amended the regulation to resolve the issue going forward. The board denied George's claim for collateral relief, and the Veterans Court affirmed. The Federal Circuit also affirmed, concluding that the application of a later invalidated regulation does not fall into the narrow category of clear and unmistakable error permitting revision of a final decision under 38 U.S.C. sections 5109A and 7111. We granted certiorari. This case turns on the meaning of the 1997 statute subjecting a final veteran's benefits decision to collateral review on grounds of clear and unmistakable error. Neither this statute nor any other defines this term, indeed, it appears nowhere else in the entire United States Code. The modifiers clear and unmistakable indicate that this is a narrow category excluding some forms of error cognizable in other contexts. The statutory structure similarly suggests a narrow category because this form of review functions as a limited exception to finality, in contrast to the broad provision of one direct appeal for all questions in a case. But beyond those general contours, the statute itself does not identify the specific ways in which this category is narrower than garden variety error. Fortunately, a robust regulatory backdrop fills in the details. Where Congress employs a term of art obviously transplanted from another legal source, it brings the old soil with it. That principle applies here. In 1997, Congress used an unusual term that had a long regulatory history in this very context. It enacted no new definition or other provision indicating any departure from the same meaning that the VA had long applied. We therefore agree with the Federal Circuit that Congress codified and adopted the clear and unmistakable error doctrine as it had developed under prior agency practice. That long-standing VA practice reveals several respects in which the clear and unmistakable category is a very specific and rare kind of error narrower than error simpliciter. Most important for present purposes, the history reveals that this category of error does not encompass a subsequent change in law, or a change in interpretation of law. 
and for good reason, during the many years when clear and unmistakable error was purely a creature of regulation, the governing statutes generally did not allow new or recently developed facts or changes in the law to provide a basis for revising a finally decided case. To stay within that statutory constraint, authorities dating back to 1928 confirmed that a determination that there was clear and unmistakable error must be based on the record and the law that existed at the time of the prior VA decision. So, for example, the VA's failure to apply an existing regulation to undisputed record evidence could constitute clear and unmistakable error. But a subsequent legal change could not, because only the law that existed at the time of the prior adjudication, can be considered in this posture. Or as the Veterans Court summed up, shortly before the enactment of the 1997 statute, a new interpretation of law, from a case decided in 1993 could not possibly be the basis of clear and unmistakable error in 1969 as a simple recitation of the time sequence should make, clear. The invalidation of a prior regulation constitutes a change in interpretation of law under historical agency practice. Drawing on decades of history, the VA succinctly explained nearly 30 years ago that review for clear and unmistakable error provides no authority, for retroactive payment of benefits when, as in this case, a court later invalidates a VA interpretation or regulation after a benefits decision becomes final. Under this practice and the statute codifying it, the board is instead simply performing its assigned task when it applies a regulation as promulgated by the VA, because that regulation legally binds agency adjudicators. To be sure, when a previously applied regulation is later invalidated, relief may be warranted for error in a case still on direct appeal. But on collateral review of a final decision, the more limited category of clear and unmistakable error does not include the otherwise correct application of a statute or regulation where, subsequent to the board decision challenged, there has been a change in the interpretation of the statute or regulation. The applicability of this principle does not depend on the reason why the agency changed course. A change based on the conclusion that a prior interpretation was wrong is still a changed interpretation. Defined by this regulatory history, the statutory term clear and unmistakable error does not encompass a claim like George's. When the board decided George's appeal in 1977, it followed the then applicable 1961 regulation, as it was statutorily obligated to do. Decades later, the VA and the Federal Circuit rejected that regulation based on a new interpretation of the sound condition provision. We express no view on the merits of that change in interpretation, which are not before us. But because it is a change, it cannot support a claim of clear and unmistakable error in the board's routine 1977 application of the prior regulation. Put differently, the correct application of a binding regulation does not constitute clear and unmistakable error at the time a decision is rendered, even if that regulation is subsequently invalidated. George offers several responses. He generally concedes the premise that the 1997 statute codified the long-standing regulatory practice defining clear and unmistakable error. He takes issue primarily with the conclusion that this practice forbids his claim. In George's view, the VA has distorted its own history by glossing over a handful of pre-legislation veterans' court opinions that he claims point in his direction. But across a century of review for clear and unmistakable error, George can muster only one case sustaining a claim that arguably resembles his. And even that case is ambiguous, as portions of the opinion may instead suggest that the subsequent invalidation of regulations does not have retroactive effect in finally disallowed claims. Regardless, the case remains an outlier that no court has cited on this point in the 30 years since, as the government notes without rebuttal from George. This is thin stuff. One uncertain outlier does not come close to moving the mountain of contrary regulatory authority. When we say that a statute adopts a term of art, we mean that it captures the state of a body of law, not every errant decision of arguable relevance. Even if George could pluck from the crowd a few stray decisions pointing his way, 
that would not show a settled meaning that we can infer Congress had, in mind when it enacted this statute. Instead, the mainstream of agency practice settles that a clear and unmistakable error claim cannot rest on a subsequent change in interpretation. George alternatively argues that the VA erred in applying this principle to his situation. In his view, it is wrong to describe a later decision in validating a regulation as a change in interpretation of law. But we think that is a perfectly natural way to characterize a decision announcing a new reading of a statute, much as the VA and Federal Circuit did in the decisions on which George now relies. We have occasionally used similar language ourselves. As the Federal Circuit has explained, a lack of accuracy in a prior statutory interpretation does not negate the fact that it is an initial interpretation. In short, a misinterpretation is still an interpretation, and a correction of that interpretation is a change. So the VA's application of the change in interpretation label to claims like George's hardly reflects an atypical use of language, despite his arguments to the contrary. Ordinary language aside, George tries to bolster his position with analogies to precedent from other contexts. He invokes an array of cases explaining that a judicial decision states what the statute always meant, and an unauthorized regulation is a nullity. True enough. Those general principles, however, do not dispose of the issue before us. Assume George is right that the sound condition provision always required the VA to show that the veteran's condition was not later aggravated by service and that the 1961 regulation conflicted with that requirement. We would still have to decide whether the board's application of that binding regulation is the kind of clear and unmistakable error for which collateral relief is available under 38 U.S.C. sections 5109A and 7111. For the reasons we have explained, it is not. And while George suggests otherwise, there is nothing incongruous about a system in which this kind of error, the application of a since-rejected statutory interpretation, cannot be remedied after final judgment. On the contrary, and as the lower courts have explained, the VA's long-standing approach is consistent with the general rule that the new interpretation of a statute can only retroactively affect decisions still open on direct review. That limitation serves important interests in finality, preventing narrow avenues for collateral review from ballooning into substitutes for ordinary error correction through appeal. So the VA's approach to collateral relief is not unusual. Here as elsewhere, litigants must overcome a strong presumption of validity when otherwise final decisions are collaterally attacked. George also leans on what he describes as the plain meaning of the words clear and unmistakable error. As he puts it, looking at the 1977 board's decision today, the legal error is clear. It is unmistakable. We share the government's doubt about how natural it is to say that the board committed clear and unmistakable error by faithfully applying a VA regulation that was found to be invalid more than 25 years later. More fundamentally, though, this argument is inconsistent with George's well-taken concessions elsewhere that the clear and unmistakable error statutes track pre-existing veterans court case law and other agency practice defining a deeply rooted regulatory standard. The real question is not what might be called clear and unmistakable error in the abstract, but what was the prevailing understanding of this term of art under the law that Congress looked to when codifying it. To the extent they diverge, the historical meaning controls. More modestly, George seeks to distinguish the statutory meaning from the prior practice on just one point. Because Congress did not expressly enact the specific regulatory principle barring collateral relief for subsequent changes in interpretation, he insists that the principle did not carry over to the statute. But this argument, too, misses the mark. The point of the old soil principle is that when Congress employs a term of art, that usage itself suffices to adopt the cluster of ideas that were attached to each borrowed word in the absence of indication to the contrary. Here, the governing statute is silent on a host of matters ranging from the definition of clear and unmistakable error to the specific procedures that govern a collateral claim. 
and we take the statutory silence on the details of prior regulatory practice to leave the matter where it was pre-codification. We decline George's invitation to gerrymander out this one feature of the prior practice. The invalidation of a VA regulation after a veteran's benefits decision becomes final cannot support a claim for collateral relief based on clear and unmistakable error. We affirm the judgment of the Court of Appeals. It is so ordered. Justice Gorsuch, with whom Justice Breyer joins, and with whom Justice Sotomayor joins as to all but Part 2 through 100, dissenting. A young recruit to the United States Marines left the ranks after military doctors found his service aggravated a pre-existing mental illness. Eventually, he applied for service-related benefits. The Veterans Administration refused his application. It turns out the agency did so based on a badly mistaken reading of the law. On discovering the error years later, the Marine petitioned the agency to revisit its decision. Congress has expressly allowed veterans to do exactly that, providing that they may at any time petition the agency to cure clear and unmistakable errors in its past administrative decisions. Despite this statutory command, the agency refused to reopen the case. Today, the court upholds the agency's decision. Respectfully, I would not. When Kevin George enlisted in the Marines in 1975, doctors conducted an entrance exam and found him fit to serve. But shortly after training began, he was hospitalized and diagnosed with an acute schizophrenic reaction that occurred in line of duty. Later, after a period of resumed training, Mr. George again required medical attention and a military psychiatrist diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia that was aggravated by service. A military medical board agreed, concluding that Mr. George's condition predated his service but was aggravated by a period of active duty. Ultimately, at the medical board's recommendation, Mr. George was discharged. When Mr. George filed a claim for veteran benefits a few months later, he had cause for optimism. Congress has provided that veterans are entitled to compensation for any disability resulting from the aggravation of a pre-existing injury suffered or disease contracted in the line of duty. Congress has bolstered that right with a presumption that individuals are in sound condition when they enter service and are entitled to benefits later unless the government demonstrates by clear and unmistakable evidence that their injury or disease existed before acceptance and enrollment and was not aggravated by such service. Relying on those provisions, Mr. George claimed that his military service aggravated his schizophrenia, meaning the government had the burden to disprove his claim. The Veterans Administration, the precursor to today's Department of Veterans Affairs, together, the Department or VA, denied Mr. George's application. In the process, the agency neglected to apply Section 1111 statutory presumption of soundness that attached to his entry into military service. It also failed to follow Section 1111's command requiring the agency to prove that Mr. George's condition was not aggravated by such service. Instead, the VA relied on a very different set of rules of its own creation. Under them, the agency said, all it had to show was that Mr. George suffered an injury or disease that existed prior to service. And after determining that Mr. George indeed suffered from schizophrenia before he joined the military, the agency denied his claim. To make matters worse, the agency even faulted Mr. George for failing to carry his supposed burden of supporting a claim for aggravation. Eventually, virtually everyone came to agree that the administrative regulations on which the VA relied in deciding Mr. George's case defied the statutory terms Congress prescribed in Section 1111. In 2003, the agency's general counsel admitted as much. The following year, the Federal Circuit held that the statute clearly forbade the VA's rules. After the Federal Circuit's decision in Wagner, Mr. George asked the agency to reconsider his case under the correct standard set forth in Section 1111. Understandably so. 
Congress has directed the VA to revise any prior administrative benefits decision infected with clear and unmistakable error. Congress has further instructed that veterans may petition for review under this standard at any time. Yet, despite these directions, the agency in 2016 refused to reopen Mr. George's case. To justify its decision, the agency reasoned that judicial decisions that offer new interpretations of the law subsequent to a VA decision cannot be the basis of a claim for clear and unmistakable error under the terms of sections 5109A and 7111. A divided panel of the Veterans Court, a non-Article III tribunal, affirmed. I would reverse. In section 1111, Congress provided veterans with a presumption of soundness and required the government to prove by clear and convincing evidence that any condition a veteran suffered was not aggravated by service. Today, however, everyone accepts that the regulations the agency relied on to reject Mr. George's initial claim impermissibly failed to implement these statutory commands. On any reasonable account, that amounts to a clear and unmistakable agency error entitling Mr. George to a new hearing. Regardless whether he can prevail under the test Congress actually prescribed in section 1111, he is at least entitled to a hearing consistent with the law's terms. The agency's failure to provide him that simple, and legally compelled, courtesy is inexcusable. Of course, just how badly the agency's regulations departed from Congress's commands in section 1111 may not have been widely appreciated until the Federal Circuit highlighted the problem in Wagner. But a judicial construction of a statute is an authoritative statement of what the statute meant before as well as after the decision. And an agency's regulation which operates to create a rule out of harmony with the statute is a mere nullity. From these premises, it follows that the agency's ruling in this case, depending as it did on a statutorily impermissible regulation, was infected by clear and unmistakable error that Mr. George is entitled to have corrected at any time. What is the court's reply? It highlights the fact that the agency's regulations bound its own internal administrative decision-makers when they ruled on Mr. George's initial claim. Given that, the court says, the agency's ruling was perfectly sound at the time, infected by no error of any kind, let alone clear and unmistakable error. Of course, the Federal Circuit in Wagner later held that the agency's regulations clearly defied its statutory charge from Congress. But, on the court's view today, that decision represented a change in governing law. A clear and unmistakable agency error cannot be made to vanish so easily. Even if an agency's unlawful regulations may bind its own employees until a court says otherwise, that does not mean its decisions applying those regulations to others are error-free. The regulations on which the VA relied in this case always defied Congress's express command in section 1111. In that sense, they were always a nullity. Nor does it make a difference that Wagner recognized as much only some time later. Once more, when a court interprets a statute and declares contrary regulations invalid, it cannot and does not change the law, it can only explain what the law has always meant. The court today errs badly by excusing an obvious error simply because it was once enshrined by the agency in a statutorily defiant regulation. What is more, the court's reading is at odds with the plain terms of sections 5109A and 7111. Under those statutes, an initial administrative ruling denying benefits is subject to later revision if evidence establishes the clear and unmistakable error. Notice the tense. The law does not ask if the agency's error was clear and unmistakable at the time of its original decision. Instead, it commands the agency to correct any clear and unmistakable error presently established. The same statutes further instruct that a petition to determine whether clear and unmistakable error exists in a case may be instituted in various ways. More present tense. Congress easily could have said that a decision is reviewable only where an error was clear and unmistakable from the outset. It did not. Instead, 
Congress instructed the agency to assess whether, from its present vantage, one of its prior administrative rulings suffers from a clear and unmistakable error. Perhaps sensing these problems with its primary theory, the court offers a second and slightly different one. Now it insists that the phrase clear and unmistakable error is a term of art that originated in, still other, agency regulations. Under those regulations, the court observes, an error did not qualify as clear and unmistakable if it was based on a change in law or, a change in interpretation of law. On the court's telling, Congress meant to incorporate this same standard when it adopted sections 5109A and 7111. And, the court continues, that standard precludes relief in this case because the error here is apparent only thanks to the Federal Circuit's intervening Wagner decision, which represented a change in interpretation of law. This argument is no more persuasive than the last. When Congress transforms, a regulatory procedure into a statutory form of relief, we enforce only those components Congress actually codified in the statutory text. And here Congress did not codify the part of the old agency regulation on which the court relies. Nothing in the text of Section 5109A or Section 7111 says that errors resulting from changes in law or changes in interpretation are immune from correction. To the contrary, Congress omitted this language from the agency's prior regulations when it adopted Sections 5109A and 7111. Under the law Congress actually wrote, prior agency decisions are subject to revision on the grounds of clear and unmistakable error. Full stop. This court should not be in the business of adding words to the law, let alone to insulate badly mistaken agency decisions from any chance of correction. In the end, it is hard to avoid the impression that the court thinks an old agency ruling in Mr. George's case just isn't worth revisiting. Maybe, too, that might seem an understandable impulse on first encounter. After all, in civil and criminal litigation new judicial interpretations about a law's meaning normally do not apply to old cases after they have reached final judgment. But it turns out that impulse is doubly misguided here. For one thing, it is a mistake to equate veteran benefits cases with ordinary civil and criminal litigation. Recognizing the sacrifices of those who have left private life to serve their country, Congress has ordained that a veteran may petition for review of clear and unmistakable errors in past administrative decisions at any time. Congress's whole purpose in setting up this scheme was to make an exception to the usual rule of finality for our veterans in recognition of their service to the nation. For another thing, this case doesn't just affect Mr. George. It risks insulating countless other decisions in which the department has wrongly denied veteran benefits based on self-serving regulations inconsistent with Congress's instructions. Veterans already face challenges enough in dealing with the department. On average, the agency takes seven years to process their administrative appeals. Over the past five years, it seems that the Veterans Court has affirmed less than 10% of the agency's decisions. Internal audits have revealed massive numbers of improperly denied claims. I would not add to these problems by shielding the department from the inconvenience of having to answer for its own clear and unmistakable errors. Respectfully, a dissent. Justice Sotomayor, dissenting. I join all but Part 2 through 100 of Justice Gorsuch's dissent. The Board of Veterans' Appeals, Board, clearly and unmistakably violated a statutory command in its decision denying petitioner Kevin George's application for service-related benefits. As Justice Gorsuch explains, in the context of this specific statutory framework, the mere fact that the board relied on a plainly invalid regulation does not shield its final decision from review based on clear and unmistakable error. The court thinks otherwise. In support of its holding, the court notes that Congress, when it enacted the clear and unmistakable error statutes in 1997, 
codified a pre-existing regulatory doctrine under which clear and unmistakable error did not encompass a subsequent change in interpretation of law. I agree that Congress incorporated this pre-existing regulatory doctrine based on its use of clear and unmistakable error, a long-standing term of art. I diverge from Justice Gorsuch on this point. The question remains, however, what constitutes a change in interpretation of law excluded from clear and unmistakable error? In George's view, a change in interpretation of law occurs where an agency chooses another permissible alternative construction of a statute, but not where, as here, a court invalidates a regulation that had egregiously violated the governing statute all along. The court disagrees. It holds that under the pre-existing doctrine, judicial invalidation of an unmistakably erroneous regulation was understood to constitute a change in interpretation of law for purposes of clear and unmistakable error. The court citations offer little support for this conclusion, however. In Berger v. Brown, for example, the Court of Veterans' Appeals, Veterans' Court, stated that opinions from that body that formulate new interpretations of the law, cannot be the basis of a valid clear and unmistakable error claim. But the Veterans' Court emphasized that the decision under attack, unlike the board's decision in George's case, had followed a plausible interpretation of the law, precluded by nothing in the plain language of the statute, and added that the statute was, and still is for that matter, susceptible of differing interpretations. Similarly, in Damrell v. Brown, the relevant change in interpretation of law was a veterans' court-created rule, not the invalidation of a regulation as clearly contrary to the governing statute. And although it was well established by 1997 that clear and unmistakable error must be based on the law that existed at the time of the prior decision, this is not inconsistent with George's request for review based on the plain terms of a statute as it existed in 1977, when the board ruled against him. Other authorities relied upon by the court are equivocal. The VA opined in 1994 that invalidation of a regulation by the Veterans Court constituted a change in interpretation of law, but it also admitted that VA's historical approach has not been entirely consistent. Meanwhile, the Veterans Court's 1992 decision in Look v. Derwinski, while not a model of clarity, undeniably approved of collateral relief based on a later invalidated regulation, as the court recognizes. My takeaway from these conflicting authorities is that the pre-existing doctrine Congress incorporated in 1997 was unsettled as to whether judicial invalidation of a regulation that squarely contravened an unambiguous statute constituted a change in interpretation of law. In other words, where the court perceives certainty, I see at most confusion. Confronted with an ambiguity in the scheme Congress codified into statute, I would apply the venerable canon that provisions for benefits to members of the armed services are to be construed in the beneficiary's favor. Accordingly, I would hold that George may seek review based on clear and unmistakable error. For these reasons, as well as others set forth by Justice Gorsuch, I respectfully dissent. Thanks for listening. This podcast is not affiliated with the United States Supreme Court or its staff in any way. If you would like to support my efforts to make Supreme Court opinions available to the public please go to the podcast's website. It's at anchor.fm slash scotus hyphen opinions slash support again the website address is anchor dot fm slash scotus hyphen opinions slash support there you can also see other episodes and send a message to me the podcast's creator thank you